1: Friday edition of PFTPM. Miles Simmons, Mike Florio. Another Friday closer to death. What we can't say is another Friday closer to John Gruden suing the NFL because that's already happened. That's already happened. Can't say that anymore. That's happened, Miles.
2: No, I know. And it was like, what, four or five weeks ago when we came on the air and the first racist email had just been published basically like a half hour or 45 minutes whatever it was before we started the show and now look where we are Mike we have a lawsuit again from a former raider it's just like the more things change the more they stay the same when it comes to the NFL
1: Al Davis wherever he is and there may be different opinions on the answer to that question but wherever he what wherever he is he has to be smiling because John Gruden has done him proud suing the NFL, and Commissioner Roger Goodell for a variety of causes of action. We have the complaint. I've sent it to Miles. I'm sure Miles has studied it very carefully over the course of the last 45 minutes or so since he's had it. And seriously, if you have looked at it and have have questions, it's the perfect opportunity to ask me. Because here's what it is. Here's what a complaint is. Civil complaint is the first document that is filed in a civil lawsuit. It initiates the process The person who is filing the suit is seeking to change the status quo in some way, either through the payment of money or sometimes forcing someone to do something like my neighbor needs to tear down that damn fence that violates local ordinances. Whatever it is, you are trying to change the way things are by using the court system. You do it with a complaint. The paragraphs are numbered so that when the defendants to the lawsuit respond, it's all clear. There's no misunderstanding. Allegation in paragraph number one is this. And then eventually the defendants will say, number one, we deny, we admit, we whatever. So it's about 21 pages, more than 100 numbered paragraphs. But uh, I I, I have the gist of what it's about and what it all boils down to. Now, I think that John Gruden has gone too far in a couple of areas. But what it boils down to is the idea that the Washington football team investigation generated 650,000 emails that were supposed to be secret. Somewhere along the way, someone decided to make a handful of those emails, not secret, specifically to take out John Gruden. That's the key. The emails were weaponized, according to Gruden, by the league and Goodell and potential others that they don't know about yet but may become aware of later for the sole purpose of ending John Gruden's employment with the Raiders and destroying his reputation, Miles. That's the gist of it. And if this thing goes to trial, we'll learn a lot about where those emails came from, how they got leaked, who ordered the code read, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Right. And, and, you know, Mike, this is something that we were talking about basically as soon as those emails came out, right? The, the fact that somebody had used those emails against Gruden specifically, and they had stemmed from an investigation that ostensibly had nothing to do with him. And so it's not like this absolves Gruden of him saying those things that he said in those emails. I think that, as we were saying when this first started coming out, that two things can be true at the same time. What Gruden said was wrong, okay? I mean, I think that is very, very clear. You know, it was homophobic, it was misogynistic, it was racist. It can go on and on and on, and he can talk about the bones that he does or does not have in his body. But what he said there was black and white and clear, okay? But at the same time, I think it also is fair to say that those emails were weaponized against him specifically, and we've been saying that for weeks. And not only... Did it interrupt John Gruden's employment, you know, in general, but it happened in the middle of the season and it was clearly done to derail the, not just Gruden, but the Raider season in some ways. So I think that there is some merits to, as you were saying, some parts of this and then other parts, you know, as I was reading it, it's like, okay, well, John Gruden, you got to wait a second there because I don't know exactly if that's true with what you're saying based on everything that we already know um, about this situation so it, it certainly is very interesting at the very least and you know if this does go to trial or if John Gruden settles it you're going to see probably two completely different outcomes because if it goes to trial and it depends on how petty or if you want to call it that that John Gruden wants to be right because if he just wants the money then he can settle it and then we're done with it but he doesn't necessarily need the money John Green's made a lot of money. We're just coaching football and talking about football on ESPN. I mean, as it says in the lawsuit, he was one of the highest paid commentators at ESPN. So he doesn't necessarily just need the money and he can take this as far as he wants to take it, Mike.
1: Well, and look, I I believe that there is a way. No, I'm trying to make sure I choose my words carefully here. I believe that there is a way – on one hand, to say he got what he deserved. And on the other hand, say that he was the victim of some sort of wrongdoing that the civil legal system provides a remedy for. And I think that instead of cutting with a scalpel, his lawyers may have taken a sledgehammer and they've created the impression that maybe they're trying a little too hard to paint John Gruden as the victim. And, and I, I, I'll explain it very simply because it comes through in the lawsuit. This idea that the mere release of these documents in some way damaged his pristine reputation. Well, he said what he said right now. You, you can you can. And, and here's what the, here's what I would have argued. Here's what I would have argued. Mark Davis was not going to fire John Gruden for the contents of the emails. And the emails never should have become public. And if they had never become public, Mark Davis wouldn't have been forced to end the relationship. And Mark Davis was entitled to make the decision without any interference by the NFL in taking this information public to decide whether or not to fire John Gruden or force his resignation because of emails that were sent before he even worked for the team. And all of that information should have at all times been private and secret. And no one should have ever known that Mark Davis was even going through the motions of, do I keep him? Do I let him go? That's what Mark Davis should have been entitled to do, and I believe when Mark Davis is called to testify, Mark Davis will testify. I believe that if none of this had ever come out, he was fine with it. He would have talked to John Gruden about it. He wasn't happy with it, but he wasn't going to fire the guy for things that he wrote before he ever became coach of the Raiders because once he became coach of the Raiders, he never did anything to suggest that that's the way he is. That, to me has much more appeal than characterizing Gruden as one of, the be- one of the greatest coaches of all time, one of the most successful coaches of all time. Oh, simmer down now, Mr. Lawyer mm, yeah, or Miss yeah. Lawyer. Are you sure you've researched John Gruden's full <laughs> performance in the NFL as a head coach? He's underwater during his time back with the Raiders. So some of it's a little bit much. And the idea that he was entitled to continue to have this great reputation unsullied by his own words, that's, what, that's where they lost me. The notion that he was entitled to have these secret communications with Bruce Allen that showed everyone who he is, that provided a window into his soul, that he was entitled for those to remain secret and his reputation to be propped up by the false perception that was otherwise out there about him. Like, basically... He was selling himself as someone who he isn't really. It was working. And how dare the NFL expose who he truly is? That's the part that bothered me.
2: Well, and then, I mean, you're also talking about somebody who was sending emails on a work server, right? Or, excuse me, to, a, to somebody with a work server, right? So that's why these emails even you know, became a part of the investigation in the first place, because he was sending them to Bruce Allen at work. And I feel like you know when you're doing that, you are kind of basically giving the employer of whatever person that you are sending those emails to access to whatever it is that you're saying. And to me, that doesn't necessarily make it private. And I think a lot of what this this lawsuit stems from is. The fact that these were private communications. And I mean, you can say that, yes, they're not all public because not all emails are public. But when you are doing something on a work server, that that work belongs then to the company. So that's basically what he did. He was allowing all of these things that he was saying to be put into Washington football team's email server. And that makes it a part of the Washington football team. So I, I just, I feel like when you're, you're arguing that, oh my gosh, he was doing these private communications between friends and then they became public, like, A, that doesn't negate what was in the content of those emails. And again, I think we can say that John Gruden got what he deserved based on the content of those emails. But it also, to me, makes it a little bit less private than if it was just like two dudes sending two Gmail things to each other, which, again, wouldn't negate how heinous some of those words were than the images also that were shared between those folks. But it it would make it different if it's not coming from work, you know?
1: Yeah, I agree with you completely. And look, the only truly private communications are privileged communications between spouses, between lawyer and client, between preacher and member of congregation. Anything you say can and will be used against you, anything you say, those become your words. And even if you trust the person who you're speaking to, that doesn't stop them from being subpoenaed unless there's a privilege. And when you write something in a technological development that is aimed at saving information, preserving information. What do you expect? So I, I'm uncomfortable with the idea that he had the right to say these horrible things and that that it it never should have come to light and necessarily affected his reputation. Like, let's pretend these never came out and let's view me as the guy that I was before you knew all this stuff that I wrote. I don't like that. I think that's going too far. And there's other stuff in here, too, that tells me that he may pursue the I am not a racist or I am not a homophobe or I am not this, I am not that by quoting Randall Cunningham, who was the Raiders team chaplain and still is by quoting Tim Brown, who came to his defense. Let's not litigate in this lawsuit the question of whether or not. John Gruden is a racist because he said racist things. I don't think that helps him. He just needs to own the emails and he needs to say what I said was wrong, what I did was wrong, and I got what I deserved. However, it shouldn't have happened the way that it did. It shouldn't have come out the way that it did. The NFL violated its own internal policies. The NFL deliberately tried to squeeze one of its member teams to do what the NFL wanted. The NFL engaged in wrongdoing because, as I said, if Mark Davis was not pressured by those public leaks, Mark Davis is not firing his buddy, his pal, the Tony to his George Costanza. We've talked about that before. Doesn't matter how bad the Raiders were. They are buddies, and Mark Davis idolizes John Gruden, and he ain't firing him, and he'll find a way to keep John Gruden as the head coach unless and until these things are released and he was backed into a corner. So I got a real problem with that, and it happens. Lawyers go too far sometimes. They went too far with this. The other thing that bothers me too, Miles, is the suggestion that appears a couple of times in the 21-page lawsuit that the Gruden emails were leaked as a way for the NFL to distract from the intense public scrutiny that was arising from the Washington football team investigation. That's just wrong. That's incorrect. Yes. There was no scrutiny of the Washington football team investigation after July 1. They timed it perfectly. Five-day weekend. Here we go. By July 6, it's all forgotten. Everybody comes to work after the 4th of July, and it never was mentioned. It only got mentioned because of the John Gruden emails. That, that was when four months later, people were like, yeah, you know what? I mean, we were all on vacation and, you know, we were drinking a little beer and we were shooting off fireworks and we didn't really, we didn't pay much attention to this WFT investigation thing, but uh, this doesn't look very good. It was the leak of the John Gruden emails that created the controversy. There was no controversy from which to distract. So, again, you're either dealing with lawyers who don't understand how it all worked, something was lost in translation or someone is trying to create an impression that isn't true. And that's important because, you know, ultimately we got to address the credibility of certain people in all of this. And if you're overreaching, if you're twisting, if you're bastardizing reality, it hurts your credibility. And that suggestion really hurts the credibility of John Gruden's lawyers.
2: It absolutely does. Because if you think about all the things that have since happened with that Washington football team investigation, it is all stemmed from the fact that it's like, wait a minute, the Raiders are the only team that's really been punished substantially and tangibly from an investigation that ostensibly had nothing to do with them at all this was supposed to be about the workplace misconduct within the washington football team and they really haven't been punished all that much and so that's why you're starting to see congress get involved that's why more and more people were like hey what's up with the rest of these 60 excuse me 650 000 emails and isn't there something probably someone else said that may or may not be incriminating and why can't we just see all of these emails if we've only seen John Gruden's emails. You're absolutely right, Mike. That perception of, well, they were trying to fight the, like, put the scrutiny of this off to the side while, you know, they can shed light on John Gruden. That just wasn't the case at all. And I think that, frankly, the argument would have been stronger if you're saying that, you know, they just weaponized this, they used this to uh, against John Gruden specifically after, you know, months and months, Of basically nobody saying anything about anything that had to do with this investigation. This is the one thing that they have used publicly to weaponize against somebody else. It really, I think, would have been stronger had you used it that way. And like, I I don't understand really why it wasn't. But, you know, I, I guess we'll see maybe as time goes on. But yeah, I think that that's part of one of the things where they were overreaching because like, that's just, it's certainly not true. I can tell you, we weren't going to talk about Washington football team, you know, a few weeks ago on Friday and that investigation. We're going to talk about things that had to do with football. And then all of a sudden, boom, this thing came up.
1: Yeah, it was done. It was gone. It was over and it's back now. And it's been back and it continues to linger and will make its way to Congress because of the leaks of the John Gruden emails. And there is also the suggestion, and lawyers sometimes tend to overlawyer. That is one of the dangers of the profession. You go too far. You make too many arguments. You cover your ass too many different ways because you never want to be accused after the fact of the old, well, did you argue this? Did you argue that? Well, why didn't you argue this? Why didn't you argue that? You don't want to be second-guessed, so you overdo it. But there's a point where you have to know the limits of reality. And suggesting that this was some sort of a shiny object to distract everyone from the Washington football team controversy is just flat out incorrect that said it does come through as well the idea that this is basically schoolyard justice where John Gruden offended Roger Goodell so Roger Goodell beat him up it's that simple it's that simple The, the emails that were discovered included insults hurled by Gruden at Goodell Gruden using strong, profane, inappropriate language and in describing Goodell. So Goodell gets pissed off and he's taking him out because I'm the king. I'm the emperor. My name's on every football, not yours. You mess with me. I'm taking you out. And they took him out. That's far closer to reality, Miles, than the idea that they were trying to distract from the Washington football team investigation. This is basic, simple revenge. You pissed off the boss and now the boss is coming to get you.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's where I think, you know, sometimes it's like when you write a paper and Mike, you know, I've never been a lawyer as you have. And I say that facetiously, but, you know, like, actually, it's pretty helpful in a segment like this where we're talking about the law and all these different kinds of things. But I just think about, you know, when you're writing a paper in school. Right. And, you know, you start off with some really broad thesis and then you start talking to your T.A., or your professor. And they're like, hey, man, you really need to focus this, make this a little more narrow So that you can actually prove what you want to prove. And I think that that's kind of the situation they're in with this lawsuit, right? Like if you are thinking about it from the standpoint of, hey, somebody weaponized these emails for some specific reason. And that reason was to make sure that John Gruden was out of a job and was not employable anymore from not just uh, an NFL standpoint, but also the different endorsements that he lost. And they mentioned Skechers in the lawsuit. then that, to me, I think actually does have a lot of merit to it. Because, like, again, we've been saying it for weeks. It was somebody that targeted John Gruden and decided that they had an agenda to make sure that he was no longer the head football coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. And, frankly, mission accomplished on that.
1: Now... What will the NFL do? They issued a statement today. We got the email. And, you know, sometimes we have to ask. Sometimes we don't have to ask. Sometimes they just send the email. This was one of the occasions (laughs) where we didn't have to ask. The email showed up. The allegations are entirely meritless, and the NFL will vigorously defend itself against these claims. Well, okay, look, every civil defendant is entitled to vigorously defend itself. That's how the system works. It's adversarial. They fight it out, and the belief is that through the process of fighting – the truth will somehow be resolved by the jury, the judge, whoever. They're allowed to say whatever they want to say. They're allowed to regard the allegations as meritless. As I say all the time, the definition of a frivolous lawsuit is the lawsuit that's been filed against me. You don't get to go to the tail end of the process now and profess your innocence. You can say you think you're innocent, but the process will show whether or not you're innocent. Before we ever get to the merits, though— I believe the NFL will do three things, Miles. First, I believe the NFL will try to remove the case from state court to federal court. Very common. And federal law acknowledges that basically there's home cooking when someone who's a citizen of a state sues someone who doesn't live in that state in a state court where the judge is elected by citizens of that state, not the citizens of the state where the defendant comes from. So when... There is diversity of citizenship and more than seventy five thousand dollars in controversy as a matter of right. The defendant can take the case to federal court and it can be outcome determinative by taking the case from state court to federal court. Now, I thought maybe John Gruden would sue the Raiders because the Raiders are a Nevada resident. And if there's only one defendant that's a resident of Nevada, can't be removed. John Gruden didn't do that. John Gruden just says that the NFL is a resident of Nevada because it has a team in Nevada and it does business in Nevada. I don't know if that's going to fly. So I think that's going to be the first thing the NFL does, remove the case to federal court. Step two, though, Miles, this one's important. They'll try to find a way to say that the case should be resolved in arbitration because that's what they always do. Because if it's resolved in arbitration, you don't have to deal with a jury that can get fired up and passionate about what was right and what was wrong. And it's just a visceral sense of who got screwed. You get an arbitrator, a lawyer, a former judge who will be very dispassionate, apply the law, and far more likely to find in favor of the NFL. I guarantee you the first two steps, remove to federal court and file a motion to dismiss and compel arbitration of the claims. And that will play out over the next three, four, five months.
2: Well, then we're going to have to see exactly... Um, how John Gruden and then his legal team would want to respond to something like that. I mean, I, I do find all of this very fascinating, just basically because, I mean, I am not really old enough to quite remember, you know, the times that different people and entities, especially the Raiders, have sued the NFL and the different outcomes that have come from that and all these different types of things. So, like, I find this whole thing extremely fascinating. And... I understand exactly why John Gruden is proceeding in the way that he is. And frankly, I think that, like I said, on some of these things, he has a bit of a case. But on others, I I just don't feel like we are going to be able to truly forget the fact that these words did still come from him, right? And frankly, I still think, that the outcome was right now, the process of the outcome. Yeah. I feel like there is reason to have questions about that um, to say that there probably was something, some wrongdoing there um, on to, on the parts of uh, maybe the NFL, whether it was Roger Goodell, we'll see. I mean, they obviously can deny the fact that they leaked these emails in the first place, but there was harm done, not just to John Gruden, but also to the Raiders. And frankly, Maybe that's part of why John Gruden is not suing the Raiders, because he understands that if these things had not come out in the first place, then Mark Davis was not going to fire him. And like, really, that has kind of changed the entire complexity of the Raiders franchise and how it's going to proceed from 2022 on. So, I mean, this is going to be a fascinating process to watch play out.
1: And another reason Gruden quite possibly didn't sue the Raiders. Remember, Gruden reportedly has settled his claim for ongoing pay from the Raiders. And if the Raiders have competent legal representation, there would be a document that waives all claims against the Raiders moving forward. That would include any claims that would get the Raiders sued in this lawsuit. And this is where the NFL may swoop in and say, look at this language in this document that you signed, John Gruden. Look at this. Oh, it's broad. Oh, it's broad. And usually when you have a waiver of claims, it is written so broad. Any associates, affiliates, and this and that. And it Mm -hmm. goes on and on. It is this paragraph of gobbledygook and words and phrases and clauses, all aimed at ensuring that this person who is getting money to walk away is walking away from anything he or she could ever sue for from the beginning of time Until the day of this agreement. And the agreements contain that language. I remember the first time I saw it, I thought it was ridiculous. But the idea (laughs) is, you want to be sure there is nothing else out there that this person could turn around and sue you for based on anything that has ever happened up until today. And that's important because I suspect the NFL will try to argue that John Gruden has already waived his claims. Remember a couple of years ago? Right around now. The Colin Kaepernick workout that fell apart. Ooh. Why did it fall apart? Because they wanted him to sign a waiver of any injuries he would suffer potentially during the workout. And his lawyers looked at it and they said, holy crap, this is way too broad. He may have other legal claims that he could pursue. You want him to waive those too. That's the danger here. And that's the third thing that I think the NFL do. So it'll be removal to federal court, seek to compel arbitration, and argue that John Gruden has waived these claims by virtue of whatever is contained in that document that he signed to get his money from the Raiders. And those are arguments you can make without ever having to produce a certain document or anything from the investigation. Those are all preliminary that have nothing to do with the merits of the case. And I think the NFL will make a very aggressive effort, Miles, to knock the case out on one of those three grounds. Of course, removing it to federal court won't knock it out. It just gives you a better forum. But arbitration and claiming that the claims were already waived. Those are the two primary starting points for the NFL when they come after John Gruden.
2: Well, not that this is what we're talking about here, but I mean, when you're talking about the, the broad nature of the type of clause that John Gruden would have signed. It reminds me of basically what uh, Stan Kroenke now is trying to argue in terms of the indemnification agreement that he had with the other owners on moving to Los Angeles and how that might have been a little bit too narrow when it comes to uh, judgments and all these other different types of things that now he might have to pay because the St. Louis is, keeps winning, you know, different aspects of this case that they have against the St. Louis Rams, or excuse me, now the LA Rams and, you know, the NFL and how the Rams left St. Louis and moved out here to Los Angeles. So I think, you know, this probably, this case against John Gruden, uh, the case that John Gruden is bringing against the NFL and Roger Goodell, sounds like the NFL has probably a better chance of doing better with than they are doing right now with Stan Kroenke and St. Louis and the Rams and the way that's all going, Mike.
1: Can't do any worse than what's going on <laughs> in St. Louis, and True. I'm glad you mentioned that, Miles, because look, in hindsight, because what the NFL did with St. Louis, and I still don't know what their basis was for arguing that St. Louis should have filed its claims in arbitration. I maybe there's, you know, the original document that brought. The Rams to St. Louis had some vague arbitration clause, and the argument was, well, this dispute has nothing to do with the lease at the Edward Jones Dome. This has to do with the exit of the team, whatever. But the NFL took it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. That's how desperate they were to try to get this case out of court and into an arbitration setting where the outcome is going to be much better for the league. The moment that the league lost that is the moment they should have said, tell us how much you want because it's only gotten worse for the league since then. And what I hope the league, for its own purposes, not for our purposes, for our purposes, I want it to go to trial. I want it to be on TV. I think it'll be awesome to see someone held accountable for the leaks that happened that were wrong. They were wrong. And the only way to have true accountability is have it all out there in the public eye. To avoid that, if they try to get the case taken to arbitration, the moment they get the final ruling that it's not going to arbitration, that's the moment where they say to John Gruden, just tell us what you want, and they make it go mm-hmm. away. That would be the smart thing to do. But smart doesn't always happen. We've seen that time and again.
2: That is very true, Mike. I mean, uh, not just you know in situations like these, but I think that just from all the different situations that we know have happened with the NFL over the last few years, man, like smart is not necessarily the choice um, that ends up happening. So, you know, I mean, whether it's smart or not, we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. But, I mean, it's certainly a fascinating first step today.
1: Now, if I were a real jerk, I could say, speaking of smart doesn't happen, Tom Curran joins us next. But I won't say that because I'm not a jerk. Tom Curran joins us next on PFTPM.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble.
3: Celebrities who have promoted, like Aaron Rodgers, who've promoted alternative, dubious alternatives to vaccines?
0: You know how we feel about misinformation. We're against it.
1: We are against misinformation. That's what Jen Psaki had to say. Psaki bomb for Aaron Rodgers, who... We'll return to the Packers tomorrow. Tom Curran returns to the program today on his contractual day off. Thank you very much for that, Tom. Welcome back. Great to see you. How's everything?
3: You know, you know, they all deserve each other. You got Rodgers being with his knucklehead misinformation and his research, and you got Jen Saki 30 feet from everybody putting a mask on. I mean, you're fine. You don't need a mask on 30 feet away from people. Be that as it may, here's where we are in 2021.
1: Well, here's where we are in 2021, literally. Cam Newton, of all the teams he could have returned to, the Carolina Panthers bring him back. Now, you've got, you know, experience with Newton last year, and the Patriots brought him back after a one-year contract ended, and it wasn't until they decided to roll with Mac Jones that they realized we can't have him as the backup. Too big of a personality, too big of a presence on the team. We want to rally around Mac Jones. What was your first thought when you saw that Cam is going to get his opportunity back with the team that made him the first overall pick 10 years ago?
3: Honestly, a couple not related to football at all. Good. Good for him because he was nothing but a good guy here. I mean, he had a poop sandwich with no bread financially.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> when he came here. I mean, he, he was, was, it, was making it, no was money. Was it a bun? Was it he a hoogie roll? I hoagie no, just, All
3: right. Just lettuce? Drink.
2: Two pieces of lettuce? <laughs> he played the bench three
3: times. He comes in here, he has to try and, you know, put a, a good face on things. It just was it was a a situation that he could never really succeed in because not only is he not a good and accurate thrower, but the Patriots had zero tight ends. And by zero, I mean zero. And the worst wide receiver core in the league. And he was tethered to them, and he stiff upper lifted it all the way through. What I'll also say, Mike Miles, is that this offseason, this training camp, yes, Mac Jones won virtually every single day of camp. And he deserved to be the starter. And it made sense, I think, from their viewpoint to move on. But Cam Newton was pretty friggin' good. He surprised me with how good he was. His arm is strong right now, unless something happened the last two months.
2: Are you then surprised that it took him so long to find a team, Tom?
3: No. And the reason I'm not surprised, Miles, is the same reason the Patriots said we're all set. And that's because he's such a huge and outsized personality. And he did not put on tape in 2020 enough good throws that made you think that this is the guy we want to tether ourselves to. He is human duct tape right now. There are, whether it's Heineke or Darnold or whoever, those are players that teams will tether themselves to because there is a presumed upside down the road. Cam is on his last legs, and he brings a huge personality. So I understand why teams are like, do we need both of that? He's not really that effective, and he brings a lot with him. But he was nothing but a great guy here, and he's going to be pretty good for Carolina, I promise you.
1: Um, the Patriots have, have turned it around after a rocky start. W- what has gone right? What has caused this team to emerge as a playoff contender? And I think a team that will be very dangerous in the single elimination setting if they get there.
3: They kind of learned how to win a little bit. You know, when you look back, it's, they could, with a little squinting, be a team that's 8 and 1. The only game they got blown out in was the new Orleans game. They lost thanks to fumbles by one point to Miami. They lost at the buzzer on a 55 yard field goal attempt against Tampa lost in overtime against Dallas. Um, So that's the four games. And and then you add those the other way. I know you can't do that, but they were really close. What has happened is they've stayed away in the games that they've won, especially the chargers game from big mistakes in their defense Oftentimes, you would have nine guys doing the right thing and two guys either not doing the right thing or late to react, and they were getting exploited. Now they've changed the way they're doing their business on defense, and they are the team that the Patriots thought that they would be: ten and two hands at ten and two with the quarterback, a solid running game, tight ends, and a defense that can lock you down.
2: How how have you seen Mac Jones get better? And what is he doing now that maybe they're starting to take the training wheels off a little bit?
3: It's interesting, Miles, because he has Mac toed a little bit. He has, he started so impressively and played so impressively through, I think the first six or seven games, his anticipation, his accuracy, his toughness, the amount of abuse he took in some games because of the practice protection that he didn't have was jaw-dropping. But in the last couple of weeks, he has been less accurate. He has been a little jumpy in the pocket. And it almost, to be honest, is good to see because his arc had been like this the entire season. So now it's, okay, there's some leveling off that's going on, and I'm sure he'll, he'll ratchet it up. But it's his anticipation, his understanding of where the ball should go before the ball is snapped, his touch, and just his He's a really resilient kid. Take even, like for instance, two games. Dallas throws a pick six, rebounds, and throws a game-tying touchdown within two plays. Chargers didn't play well all game, missed a lot of throws. But he hung in there, and when they needed a long drive to salt that game away, he executed it very well.
1: Important Mac Jones question, Tom. Why won't he apologize for trying to put Brian Burns in a figure-four leg lock?
3: He's probably waiting for Brian Burns to apologize for knocking out Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, tit for tat. Quid pro quo, Clarice.
1: <laughs> do, do, I mean, you, you were... do you think, do, do you buy the, I thought he had the football explanation? Do you buy that?
3: I buy the, I'm going to do whatever it takes while I'm on the ground to make myself useful and stop people from getting the ball. I do think that, look, there's not a twist there. Sweep the there's leg. Guy...
1: Look at that. But he swept the leg. Look at this. It's Karate Kiss. Wow. Oh, he did he sweep sweeps the leg. The leg. Nah. Nah. You know, I, you it's know, funny. Not, it's funny. I, so I watched on that. on the hands. I was, I was too. So I watched that a hundred times. I watched it a hundred times before I noticed him sweep the leg.
3: That's really funny. I, well, <laughs> I mean, the leg. I might have to renovate my take. <laughs> I might have take renovation. Look, here's the thing. When I look at it, was it a dirty play? Yeah, the result ends up being a little dirty. Would every single offensive coordinator, quarterback, coach, and head coach tell a quarterback who's laying on his back, flopping around like a salmon to make himself useful after he gets strip-sacked? Yes, up to and including grabbing the leg of a defender. And I find it interesting that while we all talk about, oh, they can't hit the quarterbacks anymore, these guys get bent in half, and they're the only guys on the field who really can't protect themselves. So we're going to have, four days later, a Brian Burns recitation of the injustice that he suffered and a request for an apology from Mac Jones, even though it was a little tongue-in-cheek. Meanwhile, again, roll back the injury suffered by Ramondre Stevenson. He's on the ground. The play's over. Brian Burns arrives late on the scene. His knee conks the head of Ramondre Stevenson. His head buckles forward. He's still in the concussion protocol. Is he getting an apology?
2: Well, uh, oh. apparently not, but, you know, <laughs> I, mean, I mean. I caught your buddy <laughs> flat-footed, didn't I? No, not necessarily. I mean, listen, i it's not me. I'm not out there. I didn't play. So,
3: no, I no, you know. And Flor- Florio didn't have anything on that one. He was all no, stu- so I'm I'm let, I'm letting Miles.
1: I'm letting Miles ask the next question. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're trying to yeah. move on.
2: Bad. Yeah, a little, a little inside baseball. Here, but, but Tom, I guess, I guess I'd ask you this. I mean, especially given the way Buffalo has kind of played maybe in the last few weeks, especially last week against Jacksonville, do you see a scenario where they kind of fall off a little bit and the Patriots end up winning the AFCs?
3: I do, yeah. I don't think the likelihood is that they will, even though we've been, you know, at the point of a bayonet, encouraged to say that on different times and different shows at our place. Was, can the Patriots win? And the next thing you know, you say, like, Yeah, they can win. Was, no, they're not going to win the division. Um, to me, the Patriots don't have enough institutional knowledge and experience. I think one thing about 2021 that's overlooked for a lot of teams that are developing is that a lot of players bailed on OTAs, which was their right because they felt as if there hadn't been enough done in terms of COVID protocols and organizing things. And the Patriots were one of the leading teams in terms of not having players show up, which is an, an anomaly for them. They have more turnover than any team that's contending. I would wager in terms of 11 of their 22 starters are either new or first year starters. Um, And there's a new quarterback. So they just, they're going to bump up against it. Miles, you know, where else will bump up against it. They went after OBJ for a reason. The reason is there's something lacking in their offense, and it's short area speed and quickness that they used to count on Julian Edelman for. They have nobody on their offense that makes a defensive coordinator go, what am I going to do about this guy? I have to send at least a player and a half to him. Jacoby Myers is their leading receiver. God bless him for what he's accomplished so far. I hope he has a long and illustrious career, but he's never going to be anybody's idea of, someone that needs to have an entire defensive game plan devoted to him. So eventually it'll catch up to them. They're not as talented as they need to be.
1: Last question. and Let's follow up on this Odell thing. How close do you think the Patriots believed they were to getting him? Because I remember a couple of years ago when they were getting ready to play the Browns, OBJ talking very effusively about his respect for the Patriots. And once he got a shot at free agency, I thought maybe he'd He'd Mm. take seriously their overtures. How close do you think, or do the Patriots think they got to getting him?
3: I think, Mike. This is honestly, I'll be, I'll be transparent. Uh, I don't know. Um, But just everything they were so soon eliminated, according to Diana Rossini and I believe Kim Jones, in terms of it. okay, it's New Orleans, the Packers. And whoever else didn't ultimately get him. Yeah, but none, none, of those him people
1: had, none of those people had the Rams either. So I know. The, the, the re, here's the reality. Here's the reality. Odell himself was all over the place. Odell changed his mind. The over-under, I think, is four and a half times in the course of the last week. From the Seahawks <laughs> to the Saints to the Chiefs to the Packers to the Rams. Chiefs. So yes. that's, that's the problem. That's the problem here. He couldn't make up his mind. And I right. thought the longer it went, the greater a team like the Patriots had a chance to maybe get him.
3: Sure. But I think that in the end, Odell, as he said, the reason he went to the Rams is, you know, they gave, showed me the love. It's all about that with with Odell, it seems. It was a little bit needy. It's not what's the best place for me to go and succeed because he is redundant in Los Angeles. They have plenty already. Green Bay would have probably presented a better opportunity for him to take a team from one level to the next. He would have helped the Patriots perhaps more than anybody among the teams who were suitors because they need him. They don't have anybody like him, but he's not going to go there. It'll be interesting to see where he ends up uh, next year. He's just on the one-year deal, right? Right. Finishing out the year. So it'll be fascinating. And it will also be fascinating to see if we revisit what impact he had at the end of the year in January when we're waiting for the Super Bowl. Is he doing anything at all? Because we just spent a 10-day Odell watch. And I would contend he's probably about the 25th best receiver in the league.
1: Yeah, I saw somebody say he's top 10. He's not top 10. He's maybe not even top 20 at this point. And who knows where he fits on that pecking order in L.A. We're going to talk about that next. Miles and I, Tom, we're going to let you get back to your day off. We'll be back to take a closer look at what Odell will do for the Rams when PFTPM continues. Thanks, Tom. We'll talk to you again soon. See hey you guys. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Tungavailoa, deep drop, fading, tosses, catches (laughs) made, rumbling for the end zone. Robert Hunt goes airborne with the extension. Westry gets him with a tackle. He went tumbling forward on a somersault. I love my life. What that is going is un- on here? <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's like that's a great play, man. Like that's that was I've nice. like, never seen it. You know, so it's, it's that. But then, like I said, it's a penalty. So I definitely hear about it. It was a penalty. I'm sure it was fun to watch for for many, but it was definitely it was a penalty.
1: And there's the Dolphins' elevator. There he is, lunging into the end zone. I wish the Ravens would have declined the penalty. Wouldn't it have been great if the Ravens would have declined the penalty? Why would they have have done that? What what do you mean? I'm kidding. I mean, yeah, the world would have lost its mind. But that's what made it even more of a what-the-hell-is-happening moment because we knew – that there was no way this guy was eligible, but he acted like he was. And uh, you know what? I may never get this chance again. The football may never be this close to me for the rest of my career. <laughs> I'm taking it, and I am going. And I think, Miles, I said this earlier today. Curious for your thoughts on this. I think the Dolphins should embrace it. Football's allowed to be fun. Find a way to work yeah. this guy into the offense down at the goal line. Let's, let's, yeah. let's do it. Because that adds something to the enjoyment.
2: Give it. Let him be. Let sixty-eight be eligible. Give him. Give him the chance to come in there and make a reception and get into the end zone. I mean, honest to goodness, I tweeted this and I think I sent it to our text chain last night. He ran that thing like he was eligible, and I was like, man, did I did I miss something? It's sixty-eight. Report is eligible in there, and he didn't. So it was obviously a penalty. What I also thought was funny is that Mitchell Schwartz, the former Browns and uh, Chiefs right tackle, tweeted out a video of him actually catching a pass from Johnny Manziel when he was with the Browns a long time ago, and they were actually playing the Chiefs. And he caught it, and he took a knee. And he said, this was a good decision because I'm not risking injury because the only thing that can happen is bad now that I've made this and prevented the interception. Like I'm not supposed to have the ball. I'm like, we're taking a knee, and we're done with this.
1: Well, and that's the other side of this. Look, if he had fumbled, and the ball did come out after he added a cross, but if he had fumbled in the field of play and the Ravens recover, you do decline the penalty. You you, you do decline it. (laughs) Yeah. So that's why it was so risky, but I would love to see him get involved in the offense, tight end, fullback, whatever they do. Will Odell Beckham Jr. get involved in the Rams offense on Monday night or thereafter? They have a bye next weekend, then they face the Packers at Lambeau Field. Miles, you, you covered the Rams, and you've been accurate in your assessment as to why Deshaun Jackson didn't really have a place in the offense. They like to go three receivers, the same three receivers all the time. How do you see Beckham fitting in this array of weapons that consists currently of Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and Van Jefferson?
2: Well, I think that eventually Van Jefferson's going to be the odd man out. Because, look, this is this thing that Sean McVay has done basically since 2017 when he started to figure out how he could cook with this Rams offense. It's been three wide receivers, one tight end. And it's been the same three wide receivers pretty much the whole time. But it's been that one guy who's different kind of almost every single year. And the exception was Brandon Cooks who was there in 2018 and 2019, but it's what they call the X receiver, right? In 2017, it was Sammy Watkins. 2018, 19, Brandon Cooks, they made that big trade. Then they sent Brandon Cooks away to the Houston Texans. And then last year, it was Josh Reynolds. This year, it's become Van Jefferson. And frankly, the way that this offense runs is basically why Deshaun Jackson kind of didn't work out there, because I guess the intention was For Deshaun Jackson, Van Jefferson, maybe Robert Woods to sort of rotate. You have a little bit bigger of a rotation. And maybe sometimes they play in some two tight end sets. Well, Johnny Munt got hurt, so that was one thing that kind of set that off track. But then really, you had Van Jefferson start to emerge. And I think he's made some really darn good plays and shown some chemistry with Matthew Stafford. And part of the reason why they don't substitute very much it is to continue with that what they call the illusion of complexity so you can make this what is really the same play look different from a different formation you can also do different things with your tempo where you don't allow the defense to substitute but then you can spread them out if you're not substituting there's a lot of things that go into it but like I said, eventually I think Odell Beckham Jr. becomes that guy, becomes the ex-receiver, and Van Jefferson kind of gets moved out because when this offense is right, you're basically going from the standpoint of, yeah, everybody's all playing 100% of the snaps with the exception basically of the running back, and that's the only guy who's basically different. Everybody else is pretty static out there.
1: Rams GM Les Snead said today he's not concerned with Odell Beckham Jr. fitting into the offense, and Peter King said earlier today that Sean McVay's pitch to Odo Beckham Jr. consisted of basically saying, hey, Matthew Stafford throws the ball to the open guy. I think that's misleading, if that's what McVay said to Beckham, because it's one thing to say, we're going to call a play with four guys in the pattern, and this is the progression, and whoever's open is getting the ball. You also design plays for specific people, and are they going to have an OBJ package? Is he going to get jet sweeps is he going to get bubble screens is some of what they set up specifically and exclusively for cooper cup going to be set up specifically and exclusively for obj at a time when there has been a little from time to time since that robert woods is odd man out in favor of cooper cup so you only got one football you got to find a way to make everybody happy. Nothing doesn't like winning, and I thought it was smart, Miles, that the contract for OBJ does not hinge on incentives based on individual performance. His extra money comes from team achievement, so it's in his financial interests to shut up and accept his role and root like hell when he's not in the game for the team to win because the more they win, the more money he makes.
2: Absolutely. And and frankly, I think we were talking about this before, you know, that Odell Beckham Jr. has to be on his best behavior in whatever destination he picked, because otherwise he's going to be thought of as the player who's a disruption, the player who's a distraction. And that's probably going to affect whatever team he tries to get to next and however much money he can make at his next stop. So I think the thing about, the receivers that the Rams have. And you're talking about Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. Those two dudes are very, very unselfish. And they root for each other. And they have, you know, for going back to the time where they both first got to the Rams... In 2017, they have a really good partnership. And so they set the standard in that room. And throughout, you know, the course of the last couple of days, we've heard how they were really two of the people that wanted to see Odell Beckham Jr. on the team, and they wanted to embrace him and they want him to be there. So I do think that, yes, as Odell Beckham Jr. starts to get integrated into the Rams offense, we're probably going to see some things that are designed specifically for him. I think that that would be basically the only thing that makes sense because you can't just process and digest an entire playbook within a couple of days. But as time goes on, I think we might start seeing things you know get back to the way they are kind of right now where, yeah, the offense runs through Cooper Cup
1: we got to take a break. Friday edition of PFTPM wraps up when we return right after this. The year was 1892. The day was November 12. That was the first professional football game ever played 129 years ago. The Allegheny Athletic Association defeated the Pittsburgh Athletic Club on this date. And one of the Allegheny players, William Pudge Heffelfinger, was paid $500 to play the game. That's what made football professional 129 years ago. And, of course, it would be another 27 years before the NFL came into being. And football spent a long time being basically regarded as pro wrestling before it became truly legitimate in 1958, Miles. That's your history lesson for today.
2: Well, I mean, it's 129 years old, Mike. That's almost as old as you. It's great.
1: You know, that's unacceptable. That's inappropriate, <laughs> and I don't appreciate it. You're one well, Friday closer like... to death as well. Maybe you're <laughs> one Friday closer to termination. Oh, hoo, hoo,
2: hoo. there we go. There it is. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's really cool, man. I love, I love old stuff like that. I love old documents like that. That's so awesome.
1: I, I can take it. Whatever you got, I can take it. I can take it. <laughs> uh, to an extent. Have you watched Back to the Future yet? Speaking of 129 years ago, you can get in that DeLorean no, and go back not, and watch that game. Not. Yeah, well, Just I could. Carve, I carve, so. While it's still on Peacock, carve two hours out of your time. You will enjoy it Mike, as they you go back to it's, 1955.
2: It's 80-something degrees today. I'm not sitting in my, you know, air-conditioned apartment. I'm going to go to the beach and I'm going to enjoy the things that watch Santa it on Monica your phone has to at the offer. Beach.
1: Watch it on your phone at the beach. Yeah.
0: Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.